Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. Alrighty, it is uh, July 24th, Sunday night, and yes, it is late. Uh, and the only reason why it is late now is because I'm switching gears. I had a plan for what I wanted to put out this uh, for this Monday, and um, previously recorded a podcast. I'll get to that here in a second, but uh, I'm going to switch gears, um, and I'm going to cover a couple things that have happened, well... A couple of things that are pertinent that have come up over these past uh, several days that have really slapped, just punch, no, no. I was going to say slap me in the face and then I was going to say punch me in the face. No, just kick me in the nuts. And I think it's going to kick a, uh, a number of you in the nuts. Um, <clears throat> so for this week's podcast, I want to cover uh, a variety of little things and then set the stage for what is to come. Uh, I'm actually exploring some ideas that might actually benefit this listenership, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Let me me just hold on. Let me make some notes. Again, like I said, I I was headed in a a particular direction, and after today, well, after the past couple days, um... I, I just, I, I've got to switch gears a minute. And then, hold on. I have to have fun. Okay. All right. Making notes. All right. I know. I know. Anybody that was. <laughs> Some people are like, well, I should have had that stuff for lined out before you hit record, bro. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's, that's the case. You, you, again, I go back to, you get what you pay for. It's baked into the cake. This is who I am. Um, all right, so crack some knuckles and get some get some serious here. Uh, and I and I guess the the best place to start is right here in what we were just doing. So I've always asked for your feedback uh, on the podcast on some of the stuff that I do, all of this, all all of the stuff that I do. I love getting your feedback. And I specifically was asking folks about feedback about the podcast and, and really wanting, because I really would like to take this to the next level and, and expand it. Um, Matt, I cannot thank all of you that took the time to send me the messages. Um, I, I, I sincerely appreciate every one of you and the time that you took. And the thing that I thought was interesting was if I look at across the board, all of the comments that came in, you just left me squarely right where I am. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is, is you know, typically people let you know what give me feedback. Where, what do you like? What do you want to see? What you know? And and the the when you look at all the feedback and you synthesize all the feedback, you you get this. You know, again, you, not that I'm a statistician because I stuck it. I suck at statistics, but you know that 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 normal dis- distribution, the 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 general bell-shaped curve, where you know you might have a couple fringe things over here, or you might have a couple fringe ideas over here. But the general consensus is, you know, oh, we would like to see you move in this direction, and then the logical. Um, result of that feedback would be okay well then then I will move in the direction that the the general public would like me to 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 focus on well (laughs) 
it might as well just be a flat line, like a flat horizontal line. Um, yeah. And it leaves me in a conundrum because the feedback I got that I've, I have been receiving has been all across the board. Chris, if you want to take your, uh, and, and I'm not dis, I am not discounting all of the feedback that I've got. I, I, not a single one of these comments is uh, dismissive. It is not a single one of these comments is trying to diminish what has been said because I trust me, I value every one of it and num- every bit of it. And and number one and number two, some of you that have chimed in are folks that have been in this arena. And so I know that you know what you're talking about. The trouble comes when the feedback from the general public and the and and what I would call the quote unquote qualified, you know, if I was to say a qualified quote unquote podcast professionals. The question comes was when when all that feedback is across the board even, meaning there ha, there's been a lot of feedback on folks that want me to do more interviews, talk to other people, engage other people, have discussions with other people because you enjoy the back and forth dialogue that I have with someone else, asking questions, challenging their premises. Uh, the fact that you know the number of you, I don't how many of you chimed in on Aaron's. Um, story and and then my when I reposted it, uh, how many of you messaged you know you want me back on Kefaro Cast podcast get Chris back on there we want him on there every month because it's it's not okay I, trust me I, I enjoy the hell out of our of Aaron and I's conversations and a lot of you enjoy the hell out of me having other people on the podcast. I mean, if you look at the download numbers on just Josh Benton or um, uh, Brian Carter or whether it's Jay Scott or, you know, um, it doesn't matter. Um, and then I guess, well, those are the t- those are the main three. And then what else? Oh, shoot. Sorry, Dirk. Yeah, that, that's a brain fart. Dirk. Um, anyway, there's a lot of people that love the interviews and I enjoy that dialogue. I enjoy that back and forth. So yes, I do want to do more of those. Uh, but likewise, there's a whole bunch of people that are telling me, they're like, no, Chris, you know, we just want you to stick with the elk stuff. All all I care about is just, just keep feeding us the, the really high quality elk stuff that you do because it's better than anybody else out there. And, and that's just, just focus on what you're good at. Focus on your elk stuff and just really hammer that and just dive all in. And then I get messages coming back. Holy hell, I love your elk stuff. I love all this stuff, but please don't stop doing the deer habitat stuff and the deer updates because no one else out here is doing, you know, on the Western Plains, that Western Plains wild, you know, whitetails and wildlife. On the Western Plains, no one's talking about actual issues that affect us out in the Western Plains. Everyone else, from a whitetail standpoint, is talking about conditions and environments that are wildly different than what a lot of us are dealing with. A lot of you that might be listening are dealing with when either A, you live here, B, you lease ground out here, or C, you come out to hunt from other states and you want to hunt 
you know, Western Kansas, you want to come out or whether you're hunting Oklahoma or Western Kansas, uh, Western Nebraska, or, you know, wherever that there's, there's almost no one talking about the conditions and the habitat stuff out here. So please, dear Lord, don't stop and please give us more of that. Okay. And then there's others of you that are like, we love your elk stuff. We love your deer stuff, but man, you know, we're really resonating with, you know, and please don't stop doing your current events or your sportsman's politics or the 2A, you know, type dialogue because, man, there's so many of us out here that that feel the exact same way you do and just feel that, you know, we have no voice and we have no way to, to you know, no outlet. We have no way to just vent and, and share our ideas and, you know, what I'm sharing on this podcast meshes with what a lot of you are feeling. And so I end up being the de facto outlet for a lot of your frustrations. Trust me. Trust me. When I say, holy hell, do I get that? Because I'm frustrated that I'm the schmuck, the dumb, the idiot that has to talk about this stuff because no one else is. And so there's a lot of people who are like, man, we, we just want you to keep going with, with that stuff because, you know, yeah, for, for whatever reason. And then just all the other just stuff, just, just stuff that I like to talk about. Um, I mean, the, the, the feedback that I've gotten on some of the, the discussions on, you know, when my mom died and just, are you ready to leave life and, and the discussions on philosophy and some of the other, I, that resonates as well. And so there's just what it shows, what it tells me is there is an absolute void of real out there. An absolute void of those people that you can listen to and just friggin' relax your brain. Meaning, you don't have to listen to me and wonder on every sentence, every paragraph, every five minutes, what's Chris's angle? What's he selling? What's his hook? What's his, what's his shtick? What's his, what, what's his bias? Where, what, what's his, what's the hidden behind the scenes, you know, financial BS that, that what, what's the, what's the bullshit? Where's the bullshit? Man, I love that. I mean, that's who I've always been, but I, I love the fact that you guys see that. It doesn't matter if I, you know, in the future, if I want to monetize this or try to make money off the podcast or expand it or blow it, you know, just really take this to the next level. I, I've joked about the fact before. I, I do. I have truthful Tourette's. I, it just, it is. It's truthful Tourette's. At some point, it, the longer I talk, the truth is going to come out. There's, there's no bull, there's no BS here. So what, long story short, and, and trust me when I say, I understand I'm long-winded. <laughs> I've always, I always have been. And I've mentioned this before. I will say it again for those who have missed it. 
that is a personality trait. It is hardwired in who I am. There's a there's an underlying reason for it. I would encourage, if you want to know why, from a fundamental, just deep, subconscious why, well, then do what I've suggested. Go to Jordan Peterson's website, understandmyself.com. You can take the personality test. That's fine. I want you to take the personality course. The course that he offers, online course that he offers, that will go through that in an in-depth discussion and explaining specific person, all of the specific personality traits and kind of some of the underlying reasons why they manifest themselves on the surface of individuals like they do. And then you will understand why, largely. I teach the way that I do. I know that I, 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 have, I have identified this with myself years ago. And even though I am conscious of it, I still, even though I'm conscious of it, I will be in the middle of it knowing full well I'm engaging in it and I am helpless to do anything about it. Meaning, or not meaning, specifically. I have a habit of trying to come up with three different examples, three different relative proofs, if you will, of any concept or idea that I bring up. I'll reiterate it oftentimes three different three different times, three different ways. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's just redundant. It's, it's, it's cumbersome. It drags things out. It makes things wordy. You could, you could edit that and cut it down. And for the individuals, there's, there's more than one for the individuals that have, have given me that constructive advice. You are 100% correct. Yes, you are. I could. That's where I would have to have a producer. Because for me to go and do that, I it seems like I'm cutting out a portion of who I... That's just how I'm hardwired. Um, I will do my best to keep things as limited as possible. However, understand that it's a wide variety of public that's listening to this with a wide variety of value sets, a wide variety of experiences, a wide variety of their, some people like to listen to things and learn. Sometimes people like to read things and learn. Sometimes people like to uh, do things and learn. So there's a different, there's different modes of learning and cognitive understanding and processing. And so for those people that are not necessarily the listening type, Sometimes having things reiterated in different ways can help make the point and help make it real. That's all I can say about that. I know that sometimes I might drag things out a little bit. Here, there, there you go. There, here. I'm, I'm in the process of doing it right now, so I just won't. Anyway, it is what it is. Okay, I know that I'm long-winded. Sorry, it's baked into the cake. You're, if you're going to wade into this pool, it's going to get deep really quick and, and, and you're going to have to tread water. Sorry. 
Um, so, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what it what it sounds like is that I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing with this podcast for right now until things flush out. I don't know, but it sounds like I'm just going to keep just status quo, just keep doing, just do, just keep doing. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, so to that end, that's what tonight is going to be because I literally, I, I had a couple of things. So I recorded a podcast, uh, a couple of days ago and that was going to be released for today. And then this weekend hit and then holy shit happened. And then, um, I realized it might be better to postpone I interviewed someone for a series that I'm going to do for elk related topics. And I interviewed this individual first because this friend, this individual is one that, that has a similar philosophy to me and has been there since day one supporting me. So it only made sense that I was going to reach out to him first. Well, yeah, like I said, um, Things happen this week to where I think I'm going to shift gears. So here's what's going on. I'm going to I'm working on a bunch of different elk related stuff now. Um, I got this is the problem with me. I get so many irons in the fire that it it takes me a while to at least pull one out. Once I pull one out, then all of a sudden a bunch come out. But at least you know I've got so many in there. At some point, I just got to finish one and get it out. But regardless. One of the, the concepts that I had, and, and this is what I'm going to, I've already lined up the interview, I, so I did one, I've got two more lined up already. I'm going to do one next week, and then I'm going to do one the week after that. And basically, I'm going to go through, and I'm going to tackle the concept of the philosophy of elk calling, the why of some of the most successful elk callers that I know and more importantly, and, and this is the, tr- the, the, the honest truth, not just the successful elk callers. There's a lot of, there. I mean, there is a ton of very, very successful elk callers in the woods every year. Absolutely. But if Chris Rowe was to sit down and say, you know what, I, look, how do I want to put this? Yeah, here, here we go. Here we go. This one's real. How about Chris Rowe was flapping his loud mouth too much and somebody somebody just cold cocked me across and broke my jaw and in like three places and I had to have my jaw wired shut right before elk season. <laughs> It's not not as far it's not as far fetched as you might think. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, oh shit! Oh man! <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it is late and there's more to this story, but oh man. Okay, so like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of people that love what I'm doing. I can tell you right now, just so, just some of the surface level stuff that I've talked about already has really ruffled some feathers. So 
Hey, it's maybe maybe it's completely it's completely plausible. Maybe I've just spouted off too much, and somebody's gonna just come in and just cold cock me and just break my jaw in like three places to where I'm just gonna have my jaw wired shut before elk season. All right, so here we go. That's the premise. I we're going into elk season. And my my jaw's just wired shut, so I can't do anything. And I I can't call for myself, okay? So, <laughs> so who if that was the case, if if that happened, what would I do? Right? I mean, am I am I am I not gonna go elk hunt, or or am I just gonna am I gonna switch seasons, or am I gonna choose, switch tactics? Or no, probably not. Um, sorry. Oh hell! I <laughs> there's some people that I know that are listening. Just come on the damn podcast and let's have a conversation. Seriously, I just just have the freaking stones to come on the podcast and have a freaking conversation. That's all I'm gonna have to seriously. Ser- if you're gonna it, whatever it. Some of these people that have such big platforms are so freaking we intellectually and emotional weak that their entire platform might as well be a hot air balloon, just a, a helium balloon. You know, like the little the little kids balloon that you buy at the fair or whatever that's tied to a little string. That's literally their entire platform because you can walk up to it at any moment and take the tiniest little pins and go, yeah, well, what about this? And go pop. And it's gone. It's gone. Or, or even better yet, or no, this, and this is the best, this is the better analogy. You walk up to them with a pair of little, like, you know, the, you know, the scissors that we were made to use, or you probably, if you have kids in preschool and kindergarten, you know, like the child safety scissors, they're like 98% plastic. And then they have like this, this marginally piss poor cutting surface in the middle to where if you ever even wanted to cut jello, you'd have to like work at it. Okay, take a little pair of kitty scissors, walk up to that hot air balloon of their platform that's tied to that stupid little plastic string and just walk up and go, snip, cut the string and watch their entire ideological premise and their entire ideological platform drift out into freaking just the atmosphere and just, 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 just vanish. Just, just vanish. <laughs> just cut. Just, just don't stop. Just don't send me. Just come on the podcast. And let's have a conversation. <laughs> let's have a conversation and let the public decipher. Just let, let's, let's just go through it. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, um, <laughs> Oh, so somebody, somebody cracks me across the face, breaks my jaw three different places. What am I going to do? Am I going to change seasons? No. Am I going to change what I want to do out in the Elkwoods? No. But if I had to work with somebody and I said, you know, okay, I want to go elk hunting. I want to go archery elk hunting. And I want to go in September. 
And for some reason, I had to choose someone that was going to call, elk call for me. Who would they be? Well, Jay Scott is number one on that list. Jay Scott and I have very similar uh, philosophical bedrock foundation of what we believe, and he'd be he'd be my number one choice. Number two, so that is the the podcast I just recorded. I just recorded uh, I don't know how many out what what was it a couple hour podcast with Jay. Talking about our his, his, not even mine, his. If you want to know my philosophy on elk calling and why I do what I do, that literally is the entire first section of the elk module, the Elk Hunting Institute. Go to rowhuntingresources.com. Subscribe to the elk module. Again, do it before August 1st. Get it while it's cheap, okay? Go subscribe. You are going to get a fundamental, you will, you will clearly understand my fundamentals, my philosophy, not only what my philosophy is on elk calling, but more importantly, what I always stress, the why, why are you doing things? If you understand why you're doing what you're doing, whether you're bugling, and more importantly, if you want to use a bugling strategy, what strategy are you choosing? Because there's more than one. And then answer the question, why are you choosing it? And really, if you want to test yourself, why are you choosing it? And articulate to me how that strategy plays to the bull or the bulls or the valley or the situation that you're in. Oh, A lot of folks, a lot of rooms go crickets when you get that deep. But on the website, I go through that. What, if you become a subscriber, if you jump on the rowhuntingresources.com elk module, the Elk Hunting Institute, you go through those first videos, you are going to get a clear understanding of what the hell you're actually getting into. My mindset. And if you don't want to pull the trigger on the on the subscription just yet and you want to go to YouTube and figure it out, then again, I've mentioned this before, but jump on to, does it really matter? Understanding, you know, what what is it? Mas- well, mastering your elk calling, does it really matter? That YouTube video. You're going to get a real good understanding of where my philosophy comes from. Jay and I are very, very similar, but I wanted to talk to Jay. Because he comes from a, a, a background of elk hunting in some of the most premier places in Arizona, guiding and hunting, managing the Ot Six Ranch in Colorado, which is managed for trophy potential, and having experience in Utah, as well as having experience in Montana, going after, and his value set is going after those extreme upper age class bulls, the the very mature bulls, 8, 10, 12, 15-year-old bulls. So when you're going after that type of bull in those, just the, the variety of places that he's been over the decades that he's done it, both for himself and other clients, 
it's an interesting discussion of how did he come up with this philosophy? Why does he choose to do what he does on the landscape? And why has it been successful for him? That was the discussion. And that is going to be the discussion for all three of the guests. So the first one is Jay. Based on timing, timing, I'm hoping that next week I get Dirk Durham on. And then after that, because the the if I had to do it in order, based on what I believe in my philosophy and how I call, it would be Jay Scott, Steve Chapel, Dirk Durham. Now, Jay Scott, he and I are very, very similar. Steve Chapel, he and I are about 80 to 90% similar, but he has changed some of his philosophy of late. And he's dived into, dove into, dived into, delved into, there we go, delved into, played around with some bugling, more bugling strategies in some of his hunts to where Steve would be my number two choice, but I'm very curious about why, what was the, what was the, what was the genesis of the the transition for, for Steve on some of his philosophy? Steve's out of town right now. He's on vacation with his family, so he's just completely out of pocket. I don't have the ability to talk to him right now. That's going to be here in a couple weeks when he gets back in town. But I've already talked with Dirk Durham. He's on board to come on and have a conversation about his philosophy on calling. Now, Dirk is extremely skilled. I've watched some of his YouTube stuff that he's done with Jason, with he's done with other people, and... He has a fundamental different philosophy. No, I can't say fundamental. He has a a largely different, it's not fundamental, it's a largely different philosophy or uh, calling strategy or philosophy that, it, that, I guess it's philosophy, that he employs for his own personal hunts That is what, that is very much different than mine. However, he's successful and I've seen him in the past articulate some things well to where that yeah even though he's different than what I would normally do if I could not call and I needed to Jay wasn't available Steve wasn't available not that I'm going to pick Dirk third just because he's like third place bronze medalist here no just from a from a fundamental standpoint of ideology but he would be the next guy on that list so those are my top three, Jay, Steve, Dirk. Those are the three people that are coming up as far as guests. And we're going to we're gonna dig into, dive into their philosophy of elk calling because they do represent three different, fundamentally different philosophies on elk calling that I would, uh, that I would be comfortable with going out in the field and having them do my calling. All right, so those are coming up. Uh, the other one that came up, and I'm hoping I get him on, is a, a guest that we've had uh, that I had in the past. People loved the the conversation. It was a little unorthodox conversation, but this I'm not even going to let you know the name right now. I want to make I, I want to record. I just flat out record the podcast, and then we'll just release it. But um, he's been, they this person has been on here before. Just got back from Colorado uh, scouting. And we wanted, I wanted to get, just get him on to give us a scouting report. But uh, he had some interesting things uh, occur during his uh, scouting efforts that are quite relevant to many of us that are 
flatlanders now that don't live at elevation that are going to be above, <clears throat> let's just say, 10,000 feet or <clears throat> above 12,000 feet and you get yourself in there and you get yourself way back in there and all of a sudden, I'm not feeling very well. Yeah. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to dive into a bunch of things because, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. So that's coming up. Um, and yes, I do want to have some other folks on here. I've, I still, I've got a couple other folks. I've got, like I said, I've always, it is, it's still sitting right next to me. It's a stack of freaking papers. I, I like making notes on paper, like handwritten notes. Uh, it just makes things more solidified for me. It just seems more real. I've got a stack of papers next to me that, you know, so there's a bunch of people that I'd like to have on here and I just need to get them on here. So for those that you of you that like the interviews, yes, those interviews are coming because I, I enjoy those interviews as well. Um, and then those that want uh, Aaron, me to be on Aaron's podcast, hey, that's up to him. Get a hold of him. Beat him over the head with it. Or give me some topics. Maybe I'll just pick up the phone and say, hey, schmuck, we just get on my podcast. Maybe I'll have him on my podcast and, and we'll we'll go that route. But uh, give me some to- topics that you want to talk with Aaron Snyder about. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And I'm laughing because it doesn't matter what topic you give us. We're probably going to talk about it for like 30 seconds. And then it's going to be three and a half hours of just some random shit. So <laughs> it's what it is. But, but hey, give me some topics. Give me some topics. Um, or that's the other thing too. If if you if, for those of you that want me to have guests on the podcast, send me suggestions. You know, like seriously, like hey, you need to talk to this person. You, hey, you need to talk to this person. I mean, I've got a list of, of topics I do, but if if you have people that you find interesting that you think I would find interesting, or that you you think that it would be interesting, just suggest send them, send them. Anyway, um. So yeah. So anyway, that's that. The interview with the the discussion with Jay the other day was what was going to be for today for for this Monday's podcast. I'm putting in that hold. All right. So I've got some of the base stuff out of the way, and that only took you know 30 minutes. Yeah, I hear some of you complaining. Um. All right. Here's what's going on. Uh. And in this. Okay, it doesn't pertain to some of you that want that are focused on elk or whatever, but this this is directly for those people that plan on coming out to Western Kansas, Western Nebraska uh, for deer season this year. Now, when I say Western Nebraska, the farther away you move from me, the less I know. But for the southwest part of the state of Nebraska and the wet, at least the northwest part of Kansas and probably most of the western part of Kansas, this is all going to be relevant. <clears throat> I said this before in the previous podcast and now it is even more um, serious. It's bad. It's bad. The conditions are bad. We are in a drought. That's no doubt. We were in a drought last year. We went into a drought last fall. We rolled into the spring. We got some good good moisture this spring. Not anywhere near what we should normally get in the spring, but we got some decent moisture in the spring. 
we knew that we were in for the long-term forecasts we're calling for um, above normal temperatures, below normal precipitation. Original forecasts, and, and let me go through this because this became relevant today in a dis- uh, this evening in a discussion. Originally this spring, the drought forecast was largely a forecast of we're going to continue to have above average temperatures and below average moisture through June. As things progressed, it became they extended it and said above average temperature, below average moisture through the beginning of August. And then it was the end of August. Now they've extended it through September. What we didn't expect was the severity of how hot it was going to be for how long it was going to be and just how reduced the precipitation we were going to get was actually going to be. So before I mentioned that the big rivers and the bigger creeks still had water flowing in them, some of the side channels and some of the small little creeks have dried up, uh, stock ponds have dried up, that type of stuff, to where water was starting to get limited. Well, guess what? Yeah. Side creeks that normally have winter or winter water are now, if they're not dry, they are they have pools of water in them, stagnant pools of water in them in places, uh, or they're just mud. Uh, no very little standing water. Now um the Solomon River that runs by me and through some of our properties is starting to dry up in sections, meaning it's a sand-bottomed river. Okay, so the the river corridor has a channel. It's got a you know bank on one, you know, two banks on either side, and then you got the the, the river channel. That river channel is a sand bottom, and that sand is many feet deep. Normally, the water is flowing over top of that sand bottom, and you've got flowing water. And surprisingly, we've had flowing water all the way through last year, uh, all the way through this winter, all the way through this spring, um, and it looked like it was doing okay. Well, we are down to now where there are places where the river is not flowing over that sand channel. There's water in pools. There's water flowing in the deeper sections or where the sand is shallower, but it's starting to go dry. Now that, that it has gone dry in the past. There have been there's been years that I've been out here. Um, I was talking to one of my landowners the other day. You know, back in 2015, maybe it was 2016 that. I was taking our hydro cedar 500 gallon tank and filling it up with his center pivot. And I was going out and literally watering some of the food plots because it was just so dry and hot in October. Um, those years, the, the river went dry. There was just water in pools. We haven't had that in a long time. Well, we're we're at that stage now. We are at that stage where it's, it's, it is going dry. And if there's not some fundamental change here soon, it's going to get bad because... We still have another month, if not a month of a uh, month and a half of this type of weather 
heading in. We're, I know we're not the only ones. Uh, many people across the United States are dealing with this heat wave. We have just been in this little tiny pocket of drought, extreme drought, um, exceptional drought for an extended period of time. This is why I'm sharing this information with you. If you have a tag to come out to Western Kansas, if you have a tag or, or if you plan on buying a tag for Southwestern Nebraska, I mentioned before that it might behoove you to get out there and scout and take a look at what's going on with the landscape and the agriculture, especially the water situation. Water for wildlife is going to be key here coming up very quick. If, if not already urgent in your area, it will be in a matter of days probably. Now, with that being said, we just got a quarter of, no, no, we got about just shy of two-tenths of an inch of moisture on a lot of our stuff the uh, last night, and we are, uh, we've got a series of storms coming over across the top of us now to where I think when I checked it before I came in here to record this, we were just shy of a quarter of an inch uh, again. You know, you say, oh, well, that's a half inch of rain, you know, in the past 24, 48 hours. Well, okay, that's that's good. No. Our soil profile is bone dry feet below surface. So the plants that are still able to make it, are able to make it because either soil moisture is daylight or is coming up shallow, or they have roots that that reach deep down into the into the soil profile. There are many cornfields right now that have literally completely burned up. They are burned up to the point where the entire stalk is dead, shriveled up, and brown. Done. Gone. They will not come back. There are farmers out here right now that are swathing and baling their cornfields, meaning they're taking their hay equipment, the, the equipment that they usually use to bale up hay. They're going out into their cornfields and they're cutting down their cornfields, letting it dry, and they're baling it up for cattle feed because at least that is going to give them something. Because if they don't do that, the entire, we're talking hundreds of acres. If they don't do that, they've just lost everything. There is, there's not an ounce of return from it. They've already spent the diesel. They've already spent the money on herbicide. They've already spent the money on fertilizer. They already spent the money on seed. And now that entire field is going to be a loss at least they they've got some crop insurance at least they can go and swath it and bale it bale it up and and utilize it for their cattle or they can sell it at least for something for cattle feed west of here under circle pivots so if you've ever seen agriculture where you have these big you know if you go to google earth and you're looking and you see these big round green fields Okay, and you've got a what they call a center pivot, a circle pivot. Okay. Basically you have a well, you have a pipe that comes out of the ground in the middle, and then it just it just it's like the radius of a circle. The 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 irrigation pivot just swings around and just keeps going and around and around and around in a circle. 
if you want it to go in a circle. Otherwise, it'll do a half circle, three-quarter circle. You can make it do whatever you want, but it, it pivots around that center <clears throat> of the of the field. <clears throat> Even though they have irrigation water, where they can put water on the entire field and thousands of gallons of water across tens, tens of thousands of gallons of water on that field per day. The amount of time, so imagine if you're looking at the face of a clock, okay? The pivot comes out of the ground at the center of the dial of the clock in the middle. Let's say the pivot is that the the line of sprayers is a line from the center of the of the clock to 12 p.m. Say 12 12 o'clock. Okay, let's say that pivot is going to go around that clock in a counterclockwise fashion. All right, so it's going to start irrigating. It's going to just pour water on this field, and it's going to go from 12 o'clock. Over time, it reaches 11 o'clock. Over time, it finally reaches 10 o'clock. 9 o'clock, just keeps going around 8, and then 7, 6, 5. just keeps going around in a counterclockwise fashion, right? It goes at a rate that allows the irrigation water to put a certain amount of inches of water, whether it's a half inch of moisture, inch of moisture, whatever. You can adjust that, but... It puts it on a as at a rate where the water is just not flooding and just pouring off the ground. It, it puts it on the ground to where it soaks into the ground, but it's saturating the ground as it goes over. So that way it gives everything that's underneath those sprayers a solid drink. It soaks that soil because it's going to take. 10, 12 hours or whatever to go around, whatever it's going to take, how, however many hours it takes for that pivot to make one revolution, right? So whatever it puts on the ground in that amount of time where it's sweeping over that particular plant, the amount of moisture has to last until that pivot comes back around and sprays over top of it. Again, there's all sorts of variable uh, um, factors that affect how much moisture, how much water is being poured out. Some of it is regulatory. Some of it has to do with, okay, there are uh, water conservation districts that say, okay, you're only allowed to pour this much water at this much time in this, you know, at this much or this much water in this finite amount of time over this many days, over this many weeks, over this, you know, you're limited. You've, you've got so, you've got so many gallons. You've got so many, what they refer to as acre feet. Okay. If you take one acre, how many feet of moisture can you put on there? So you got an acre, okay, of ground, roughly, what is it? 71 yards by 71 yards, 210 feet by 210 feet, something roughly around like that square, that's one acre. Acre foot is one foot of moisture across that entire square. Well, in that one foot, of course, one foot is 12 inches, right? So you've got 12 inches of moisture in that acre foot, right? Regulatorily, under soil conser- or under the water conservation boards, um, you are 
you're restricted on how many acre feet you're allowed to put on your fields. How much water you're able to put on your fields. Some of the pivots that are going right now, they because of this heat that we've been having. The other day was 108. Um, we've we've been having just the number of we and, and again, I know that we're not the only ones. A lot of people are dealing with heat. We are just dealing with heat, and we're already coming off of a massive soil moisture deficit. So some of the people that are pouring water on their fields in these pivots literally cannot put enough moisture on the crop to last long enough for the pivot to come back around and water it again. In the time it takes the pivot to make one full revolution, the crop is burning up. So what are they doing? Some of them have sacrificed half of their field and they've said, screw it, we can't we can't keep it alive. We're just going to put water on this half of the field. We can save this half of the field. We just have to sacrifice the other half. It is literally like having an injury to your arm that's so severe that your best option is to cut off half your arm. I can't save my lower arm if I don't do something, I'm going to lose my entire arm. So I'm just going to put a tourniquet above the elbow and I'm going to cut off or I'm going to kill the other half of my arm and I'm going to hope to save the the upper half of my arm. That's literally what some of our farmers are doing right now. Um. <clears throat> There are some beans, some corn that literally it's too dry, even though they might survive. The stalk, the plant itself might survive. It's not throwing out any seed head. It's not throwing out any kernel. It's it's not going to produce grain. So it might as well just be a weed. You're just just growing a a weed out in the field. It's it's not going to produce anything. Twofold, the reason why this matters to those that want to come out and hunt. Threefold, threefold. One, obviously, the critters are suffering. The critters are feeling it. Now, we, now, in some places, I've got some great pictures of some just smoker bucks right now. We've got some really good deer on camera. The antler growth so far seems really, really good. The fawn crop, however, seems abysmal. Uh, there are fawns out here. The fawns that were born early seems to be seem to be faring very very well. The fawns that seem to be that seem to have been born late are not don't maybe are, aren't maybe doing as well. Um, <clears throat> just don't see as many fawns out in the landscape as we'd like to see. So your critters are definitely hurting, um, but. A lot of us that come out to hunt out west in the fall are focusing our efforts around, especially if you're coming out here to hunt on walk-in access. 
many areas are walk-in access that are private properties that are ag properties that have some semblance of a tree corridor or some sort of wildlife habitat on it that allow you uh, some semblance of an idea that there might be a deer or there might be something else on that property that you could hunt and maybe have some success. Again, remember what I said in the past. In the past, a lot of our agriculture was subsidizing a robust wildlife population. Our agriculture has changed to where it's no longer subsidizing a high level of wild of game population, especially namely deer and especially turkey. Um, now that we're going into year two of drought and this one just freaking is kick us, kicking us in the nuts, if you are coming out to walk to hunt walk-in access, if you are coming out to hunt private property, you owe it to yourself to start making trips out here and scouting to see what the update is on the ag of the area that you plan on hunting. Because in these areas where the corn is just going to get swathed and bailed, where the corn is not going to produce anything, uh, where the beans are not going to produce anything, you may very very well see a whole-scale shift of movement, especially where there is no water on the landscape, period, at all, anywhere near that particular property that you plan to hunt, you are quite likely going to see a whole scale shift of deer movement away from those areas, and they're going to have to concentrate in those areas where they have some resources. You're going to want to come out and scout. I said before, again, and I don't want to rant on it, being sensitive of what the feedback I got, you know, from some of you not reiterating myself 18 million times, but water's going to be key. And if the critters don't have water, they're going to try to go where they can find water. Um, talk to your landowners, take a look at the properties that you plan on hunting, evaluate the water situation. If you have the ability to work with the landowners that you hunt on, <clears throat> work with them and see if you can't get some supplemental water on the landscape, uh, e even from a, even not from a hunting standpoint, just to give them just something, a leg up. Um, again, remember, isn't hunting conservation? Hashtag hunting is conservation, right? Hashtag public landowner, right? Aren't, aren't we supposed to be, aren't we, are, are, isn't the moral high ground that we walk predicated on the on the concept that we are conservationists right we're just not killers right we're just not consumptive users we just go out, we, we're not just those people that just go out there and just kill stuff right we're we're the, we're we're the ones that that spend our time and our money to put back on the landscape not just for the deer and the turkeys and the pheasant and the quail and the, the critters that we want to go shoot in the face right we we, we give back to all wildlife isn't that what hunting is conservation? Isn't that what it's about, right? Talk to your landowners. See if they can use some help. Hydrants. Uh, some of the pumps are, are either, uh, hell, one of my landowners, the, the litter, there's so little soil moisture that the well that they normally use to provide water for their cattle across a two mile I'm, I'm spitballing here off the top of my head I know it's two miles long if not it might be three I know a minimum two 
and let's just say a minimum one mile wide from, from the foot. No, I can actually say probably a mile and a half wide. So two miles long by 1.5 miles wide. How many? So uh, 640, 640 is 1280 plus the half and half is 640, 1280. So 18. Uh, yeah. So you're talking about 2000 acres roughly. The water that is in that 2,000 acre chunk of habitat that has deer, turkey, pheasant, quail, cattle, agriculture, the whole nine yards. The well that normally supplies the vast majority of water across the primary river corridor, the creek has gone dry. The creek went dry last summer and has not flowed water at all. The well was dug to tap into the water that was in that creek. Well, that well just went dry. There is no water, period, in that entire drainage to where the well that was dug down deep has no water. So they just went and spent a whole bunch of money and did a hydrological stuff and they had to go find another vein uh, and dig a deeper well to tap in just so they could have some water for their cattle. But where they have these cattle tanks is, this is why I love working with these guys, is also strategically located where the deer, turkeys, everything else can access that water as well. So once they get that up and running, they're still trying to fix it. We will have water back in that corridor that critters can access. Um, but this is not unique to my landlords. This is happening happening across the board. Wells are going dry. Well uh, pumps are burning up. Uh, lines are breaking. Hydrants are, are shut. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just gonna I'm going to plead with you that before you roll into this area as a out-of-town hunter. I don't care if you're a resident of Kansas or what. Before you roll into the, some of these areas with your brand new $80,000 truck, and you want to knock on the door to your land, to those landowners and say, hey, can I come out and shoot the best of the best of everything that you've got now that I'm here? Reach out to them and see if they need help. <clears throat> There's a lot of people that need help. Our critters are going to need help. And to the point, um, in some places, unless something drastically changes, there's not going to be any reason to plant winter wheat this fall because there is no soil moisture. There's not, no, it's not that there's not enough. There is no soil moisture in which that wheat will pop and survive. You may see a lot of landowners swath and bale their corn, bale, just, just let their soybeans do what the soy, just burn up. And that entire field sit as bare stubble and dirt until next year.
until next year. Which means that we would be pushing two and a half years of minimal forage, limited water for our wildlife resources. How in the hell do we maintain a robust wildlife population in the face of that? Without our interjection. Without us stepping up and doing something about it. It's it's ugly. Some of my food plots, I've got some that are still doing okay. Uh, and I say okay because they're they're still hanging on. And this rain that we're getting now, man, I cannot tell you. Knock on wood, I... It's just by sheer grace that we've gotten it, and I, and I thank the Lord for it. Um, it's just going to stave off if if something doesn't change fundamentally. It's just going to stave off the inevitable for a few more weeks. But I don't care. At least it's going to stay. At least what I've got out there from our food plot standpoint is is providing good quality forage, and at least it'll be out there for another few weeks. <clears throat> um, other other areas. It's a 50-50. Some of it's starting to burn up to where it's it's not going to make it. I, I don't even know if this moisture, we'd, we'd have to have a significant turnaround for it to survive. It's just probably going to burn up. But luckily, we, we've got enough growth that, you know, it's maybe two or three foot tall. It's going to burn up. It's going to die. It's not going to produce any grain. It's not going to produce any seed. It's not going to produce anything that we need for that I wanted for our wildlife but at least it's going to provide some semblance semblance of ground cover and mulch layer. So I guess we've got that. And then there's other other plots that just just flat did not. I mean, they're they didn't do anything. They, I mean, it just was so dry, so fast, so hot that things germinated, got up about six to nine inches, and then just burned up, withered up, and just done. Those plots, um, I'm just going to monitor. I mean, it's so dry that even the weeds aren't growing. That's how bad it is. So I'm just going to sit and monitor and watch it uh, and see what happens. Like I said, right now we're doing okay. For our hunters that are coming in this fall, I mean, man, we've got some great deer on camera. And I I cannot tell you how thankful I am uh, that we've done the habitat stuff that we've done these past couple years. Because quite honestly, it's it's some of our perennial plots that are saving our bacon right now, um, and stacking the critters in, uh, and you know some of the agriculture we have around it. Um, yeah, I mean, if 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 we had if if I had if I had not been doing what I've been doing all these years, no, we no those those no it it'd be it'd be toast. It'd be toast. So before you, I mean, I know some of you drew your tags and you're, you're planning on coming out. You're, you're planning your vacation days. You're planning on loading up the camper. You need to get in your vehicle and take a drive now. Take a drive now and make sure you have a solid game plan uh, for when things really get ugly here later on. Um, and then I'm toying around some of you have brought the, and I don't know if, for those that you, for those of you that, that said that you like me talking about some of this habitat stuff, especially the deer stuff. And and quite honestly, we could even dive into some of the elk habitat stuff, but especially some of the deer stuff. Um, I've been toying around with the idea of 
providing a mechanism by which some of you might be able to participate into some habitat stuff um, from an experimental standpoint and see if we can't move the needle on our knowledge base and our on-the-ground management efforts and management success for wildlife habitat. Um, yeah, figuring out how we can pool our resources together and incentivize some not so much conservation type stuff, but just from a adaptive management stuff. This is one of the things that so well. I may be doing some interesting, weird, or uh, different stuff here in the future working with habitats. One of the things that I've been a critic on in my profession over the years was the number of people that don't like to get into management. There's a lot of wildlife professionals. You, you'll talk to people that want to get into the wildlife field, and I get phone calls and people wanting to ask all the time, "How do I get? How do I? How do I get to do a job like you?" First and foremost, I don't recommend it because it's not very lucrative. <laughs> um, you can make a lot of more money somewhere else. But if you want to get into the wildlife field, there are a lot of people that want to go the research route. Uh, maybe they want to go the game warden route, but a lot of people want to go the research route. They want to go and, and play with critters and investigate things and study things and, and you know, test ideas and then write papers about it and then you know there's a lot of people that like the office work sitting behind a computer doing the research publishing a paper there are less people that actually want to and and I don't mean this in a pejorative standpoint do the hard there's less people that want to do the hard stuff and the hard stuff is actually putting your neck on the line and making a management recommendation, implementing that management recommendation. And quite honestly, staking your reputation and your job in some cases on the success or failure of that implementation. The thing with biology, doing the research side of things, you can have a hypothesis and you say, I want to study X, Y, Z and I believe A, B, C or one, two, three. And you can go for four, three, five or more years down the road of this research and it can flat out utterly fail. And it's still a success. Why? Because the underlying thing that you were trying to do through the research was just discover and find information. Even if a, if a, if something fails, you can say, oh, well, we, we tried this. We did this in the best way we, figured, we, we knew how. This is what happened through the entire study. This is why the entire thing failed. Well, you can still publish a paper. It's still considered a success because you learned something. Everybody pats you on the back, and everybody's ooh ah ooh ah ooh ah. And you, and you again, you can get another, you can get a peer-reviewed published paper off of it. Okay, 
but did you move the needle on the ground? No. And even if even if you the study that you even even the successful research projects oftentimes are not moving the needle. All they're doing is setting it up to where a manager who takes that information looks at all the parameters. I then goes out and identifies a chunk of real estate and says, based on that research, based on the parameters of that research, based on the the management need of this particular area, based on the environmental conditions, the habitat conditions, the soil conditions, the moisture conditions, the the socioeconomical, all the considerations... I think this area would be an area we could test putting that concept on the ground and doing something. It's the manager that takes the risk of actually implementing some, taking the hard task of, okay, how do I take the science? How do I, how do I put something together that will actually be able to manifest itself on the ground? And then how do we monitor that on the ground? And then how do we look at that and, and do we have success? Because once you put something on the ground, Okay, now you're spending money and you want results. When you spend money on on research, you want the results of the research. But quite honestly, you, all you care about is stati- statistical rigor of the research. You don't. It's less important of what actually happens as long as it's it's statistically uh, valid. From a management protocol, if you're going to spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of putting something on the ground, that's not play money. You're wanting results and you're wanting favorable results. Man, that's a whole nother stress level that a lot of people don't want to engage in. And that's a whole nother level of risk that a lot of managers don't even want to play in and they don't want to put the money down uh, to, to play in it. However, there's some valid, there's some, there's, there's a lot of benefit to be gained by those that are willing to take risks and explore ideas on the ground and see how they manifest. I've been playing with them for the past eight years out here. Everything from your basic food plot concepts to cover cover cropping and and cover crop blends. I can tell you what has worked and what has not worked and, you know, steer some of my clients and those that I work with in directions. Again, I've, I've joked about it, but it's not a joke. In most of the places out here, if you want to put a brassica on the ground, you better articulate to me why you're putting it in the ground for soil health purposes or compaction issues because I I defy you to put a deer in a headlock and shove one down their throat. The the amount of use that the brassica gets out here is not worth the cost in seed. It's just not. It looks pretty on the landscape. It's easy to establish, but are you providing any real benefit to your deer population, your turkeys? In many cases, no, because I can walk out across whether it's a half acre food plot or a three acre or five acre food plot that might have multiple forage exclosures across that thing to to monitor use. And even though you have deer stacked in the thing every night, most of the time, I'm not doing a solid stand of brassicas. I'm doing a mix. 
they're not touching the brassicas. They're they're hitting the winter wheat or whatever else is it. Same thing with winter peas. Austrian winter peas. Put them in the soil. Put them in the mixture. Put them in the soil. Put them in the uh, mixture for soil health. Nitrogen fixing. Do not expect the deer, at least in my neck of the woods, to to do anything with them. Waste of money. Okay. Those are the things that you find out after you've put a lot of money on the ground. After a couple of years of testing it. That's a manager. Okay. Likewise, the flip side is the chicory. Chicory out here, holy shit. That, you want to know how much, oh, you want to plant something? Plant chicory. That is incredible. And quite honestly, out here now, they're, they're using kochia. I went out and sprayed today. I had to touch up a chunk of habitat stuff because, again, <clears throat> my my summer plot, my cover blend just it was so dry, it just didn't come up. And then the spiny amaranth, the herbicide-resistant amaranth came in and literally just went gangbusters and just choked a bunch of it out. So it's starting to flower now. It's pushing out a bunch of pollen. I just had, I, it was the first time we had some conditions where I could actually get out there and spray it and, and twist it up, knock it back a little bit. So that's what I did. The amount of animal, of, okay, you hear, again, this is, again, this is where managers come in versus the biologist. The number of people that talk about deer use on ragweed, 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 and it's still, most of the time it's giant ragweed, but a lot of times, and that's a specific subset of ragweed, but you'll hear people talk about ragweed, ragweed, rag, oh, how great ragweed is for deer. Really? I can, I can hike your silly butt across, I don't know how much ground out here with ragweed, I defy you to find any deer browse on our subspecies of of are our specific species of ragweed. However, Russian thistle, kochia, hell, even the amaranth I was spraying today, heavily browsed. So the noxious weeds that our landowners are trying to prevent because they will overtake those crop fields are the actual plants that they're finding benefit from right now. So anyway, I dig the point being is, is I'm, I'm exploring an idea. How do we leverage all of you that are in, that are curious, that are interested in conservation, that are curious about manage, wildlife management, deer management, turkey management, habitat management? How do we leverage leverage your interest with what I'm doing out here on the ground? And how do I provide an incentive? So what I'm thinking about is trying to figure out a way to put maybe a GoFundMe or something like that where people can pitch in, put money into a pot. We take that money and we put that money on the ground in some sort of management treatment effect to where I say, okay, this is what I'm, this is what I see as a management need across this landscape. Here are my ideas. This is what we need. This is how I want to test it. Obviously, there's going to be seed costs. There's going to be herbicide costs. There's going to be fuel costs on drilling the seed. There's going to be, you know, all there's, it's going to cost money. It's my activities now and the demand for the activities have exceeded what I can. Well, it's, it doesn't matter. How do I take your interest and turning in, turn it into something that actually moves the needle on the ground out here?
not only for out here, where I am, but maybe for you, where you are. I do the test. I do the test plots. I monitor it. I evaluate it. I share the results with you. That way, you don't have to go through the expenditure if you don't want to. You can sit back and say, okay, I'm going to let Chris do this for a year, you know, a season and see how that goes. Let him, let's, let, let one group me do the, do, do the management, make the mistakes, test the theory. That way, when you want to do it on your property or on the properties that you hunt on your landowners, you don't necessarily have to foot the pill, all of it. And maybe we incentivize that some way, like maybe figure out a way through the GoFundMe, you know, everybody that, that pitches in on the GoFundMe gets a, a random chance to come out for a turkey hunt or a deer hunt or something like that. And then maybe we do another level where, you know, the, the top five or the top 10 donors that, that pitch in the top money, um, they go in a separate pot and, you know, we we come up with a uh, prorated draw type of deal where, where they get, they get their benefit as well. So I'm, I'm playing with that idea because man, if anything that these past couple of years have shown me, it's easy to do food plots. It's easy to manage habitat. It's easy when mother nature wants to play nice, but wow. Do the limitations start rearing their ugly heads when conditions get tough? You, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's it's cliche, you know, all these Instagrams and reels and you know all the social media, you know, all the motivational stuff where talking about the the human body and working out and you know how you, you know, the only way the the body grows is to you know test itself or heart through hardship or breaking itself down or blah 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about, the, all the motivational stuff. Well, that's that's the truth as far as habitat stuff. It's all fun and games when you've got plenty of moisture to deal with. You're going to really find out how well your food, your, your food plots work or your cover crop uh, blend mix works when the shit hits the fan and it, it gets tough. The conditions are tough. You're, you you start to learn some really critical things. So I'm playing with the ideas of how to parlay that into something that you guys, again, I can be critical and I, and I understand this. I am and I will own it and I, I have no qualms about it. I am critical with the concept of hunting is conservation. Some hunters are conservationists. Some of Hunter's dollars are used for conservation purposes. A lot of it's not. And a lot of hunters are not conservationists. So I can be critical about that and I can rail against it and I will continue to do so. But the flip side is, is what's the old adage? Time is better spent lighting a candle than cursing the dark. fair fair so what does this community want to do does this community 
share in a, in a, in a value set that wants to put stuff on the ground for the benefit of critters, regardless of whether we get a massive return on though the goal is to have a massive return on the overall wildlife population that engages that habitat work. But that may or may not translate into we just go out we 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 do the habitat work so we can just go out there and whack and stack and just waylay the piss out of deer and waylay the piss out of turkeys. No. That actually may not be the case. What it may be is we just did a project that is going to save the population of turkeys in this region or at least ensure that there is a source population of turkeys in this area or pheasant or quail or the deer have re- the deer in this region have a place to fall back to when the shit hits the fan. Because it seems like it's it's happening more and more. Our summers are hotter and drier. Our winters are a hell of a lot warmer and drier. We've got major changes happening on the landscape. And unless we do something, the state ain't doing it. The state ain't doing it at all. So unless we as private landowners, we as private citizens, as we as hunter conservationists, unless we do something, we're going to watch some of our our landscape. I, I mean, geez, to look back on what this place used to be as far as the turkey population and deer population, etc. Unless we do something, that's going to be gone. We champion those people in the past that had the foresight to do these big, broad, you know, (laughs) sweeping policy things where we set up the quote-unquote North American model of wildlife conservation. We applaud their foresight and their actions to preserve what they had then and set the stage for what we have now. Do we have that leadership and do we have that interest within the populace of hunters now to actually put that money on the ground again some people do the question is do we have a mechanism by which the 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 vast majority is majority of us have a way to do that um yes there's other there's there's plenty of non uh, or you know the turkey federation Tur- National Wild Turkey Foundation, the the Elk or Federation, the Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer Guys, the National Deer Association. All there's there's a pl- there's plenty of places that you can spend your money, and we all know the successes and limitations of those organizations. For those that are curious about habitat manipulation, is there a different outlet? I don't know. I'd like to play with that idea. So that's what's going on. Part of what's going on. Um, I just wanted to share that with you tonight. Um, I'm going to, like I said, I want to re... So, anyway, I'll keep you in the loop on what what that might look like. Um, Let me know if you guys, when you listen to this, let me know if you have interest in in that. Because if if no one gives a shit, then I'm not going to waste my time. Um, But if you do, if you're interested in, in saying, yeah, I'd like to throw some money at 
testing some things out or providing some of these things and, and then throwing your money to that, knowing that you're throwing money to actual conservation efforts on, you know, management efforts on the ground, and then might have some sort of an, you know, incentive on the backside as well. Let me know. Um, if there's interest in it, I'll put, I'll try, I'll see if I can't put something together. Um, but anyway, enough for tonight. That's long enough. Um, yes. So the J Scott philosophy of elk calling is recorded this week. If everything works out well, I will be talking with Dirk and then next week somewhere, uh, maybe yeah, I think it's next week, but then the next one will be Steve. But I've got a bunch of other stuff coming in in between there as well. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. Uh, thanks for listening this week. Uh, hope everything. I mean, geez, I know that some of you are out there just sweating, sweating like the rest of us. Bear with it. Power through. Can't last forever. Take it day by day. Just check in on, I mean, seriously, check in on your loved ones. Check in on some of the folks that might be in your neighborhood that uh, are might be a little older, might be a little bit less uh, advantaged economically as you. Uh, make sure, you know, do they uh, it, 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 do they have air, air conditioning in their house? Is it working? Do they have water? I mean, is everything working? I mean, check in on your neighbors because this is... This is the type of stuff that gets scary if it continues this way. So, anyway, till next time, thanks for chiming in. Talk to you guys soon. See ya.